0: Uh, John chapter 9. Before I start, though, I want to just give a little bit of a promo for my Sunday school class. that describes our times today. And I think you will find it appropriate for what we're going through or have been going through. Uh, It will give you some tools to help you overcome uh, these uncertainties in your life today and going forward into the future. And I I just want to encourage you. I hope you'll come and be encouraged by the class again next Sunday, 930 in in the reception room. Uh, Get out of your head. We'll be starting. Pastor Gary has been preaching a series on face-to-face encounters with Christ, and I want to continue this series for one more Sunday. And I want to look at our face-to-face relationship with Jesus, our face-to-face relationship with Jesus. Specifically, I want to look at Jesus, our Lord. I want to look at Jesus, our Lord. Now, we sang some songs this morning about this about the lordship of Christ, the the authority of Christ, not just over our lives, but over the world, over the universe even. Today, the freedom to worship Christ as you desire is being attacked. Today, the ability to worship God as he designs or as he commands us to Is even being outlawed at times in places. For a long time, we Christians here in what we call the West, Western society, we have observed religious persecution from a distance. Wouldn't you agree with that? We have really observed religious persecution from a distance, severe persecution from a distance. But that's changing. I want to give you just a small sample of some religious persecution against worshipers around the world today, outside of the United States. So this is from the American Center of Law and Justice, the ACLJ. It says, Christians are being targeted, even hunted, all over the world. In Nigeria, by March of this year, 2020, as many as 350 Christians had been murdered by Islamic radicals. Two months later, that number had almost doubled. By June, the death toll was over 1,200. That's over 200 a month. 200 a month. Christians dying, being murdered simply for their faith. In one day, 33 Christians were murdered. In India, Christians are being harassed and attacked by violent, radical Hindus in order to either renounce Christ or run. Renounce Christ or run. You can only imagine what would happen if they get caught. In Pakistan, Pakistani Christians face violent abuse, rape, forced conversion, and the ever looming threat of archaic blasphemy charges, which are easily doled out and carry the penalty of death. In Pakistan. Again, this is just a small sample. This is just three countries from around the world. Unfortunately, religious persecution is no longer uh, to be perceived as only an issue for those beyond our borders. Wouldn't you agree? Don't get me wrong. People in America, we have been persecuted at times for our faith. I've experienced some persecution. Maybe some of you have experienced some persecution as well. Just simply for believing in God, believing in specifically Jesus. Now, you and I, we probably never faced death or the threat of death, but we have experienced persecution nonetheless. In the past, I believe that most persecution has been done by individuals towards individuals, like maybe a bully in school. But more and more today, it's being organized by large groups. Today, persecution is growing and even becoming mainstream in some places. The Bibles, some Bibles are even being burned in the streets. It's becoming acceptable to make fun of, demean, slander, even take legal action against Christians, again, simply for their beliefs, our beliefs. Simply taking a stand for what the Bible actually says. At times, it feels like Christians are the only ones who are not allowed to live out their lives, their faith, their way. Everybody else can do whatever they want. But Christians, no. We don't have that freedom at times. In some states here in the U.S., local and state governments are mandating how, where, when, and how many of their citizens can worship God. For example, fines are being levied, people are being arrested even, threats of of utilities are being shut off, among other things. Now, if I hadn't already told you this is happening in America, you would think this was happening someplace else. You would think this is probably happening in a communist country like China or Russia. But this is happening here today. In America. Before I go further, I need to make it perfectly clear. This is not about politics. This is about life. This is about freedom. This is about what is right according to God's word. This is about dictating how someone, namely you and I, how someone is allowed to worship their God. I don't know about you, but I never thought I would see this happening here in America. Other places? Absolutely. But not here. Not in the land of the home, the home of the free and the brave. I'm hoping that this, this message will be a wake-up call to all of us as followers of Jesus Christ. Throughout the centuries, in fact, even before there was such a thing as a Christian community or Christianity, followers of God have been persecuted. And yet, at the same time, they have always found a way to continue to worship and serve God, whether it was as individuals or as groups, as God has led them, as God has commanded them even. Listen to this illustration. Let's say there's a little child in the middle of a room full of toys, their toys... And they have a friend come over. Now, the friend, they start walking around and they look at the different toys and they start playing with a particular toy that really hasn't been touched in uh, maybe a couple weeks, maybe even a month or more. It's just been there. Now, the child who owns the toys, he sees this other child playing with their toy. And they start getting a little angry. He started to get a little upset. Now, it's still their toy, right? This this child hasn't come in to steal their toy. It's still their toy. But the owner of the toy, they took it for granted. They took for granted that it would be there for them at any time that they wanted to play with it. But now it's in the hands of somebody else. Somebody else is controlling access to this toy. You can all probably guess what happens next. They want it back. That's mine, right? Isn't that one of the first words that they learn? Mine after no? <laughs> mine. And they are willing to fight the other child to get it back. Funny thing is, again, it is still their toy. And once the other child leaves, it's still their toy but they want it now. Let me say this. Sometimes before we truly appreciate what we have, it has to be taken from us. Let me say that again. Sometimes before we can truly appreciate what we have, it has to be taken from us. Now, this idea can be applied to a multitude of things, can't it? just one example, it could be applied to a loved one. If a, if a loved one leaves you, whether through death or, or, or moving away or something else, you don't always realize what they meant to you until they're gone. Or how about this? Sometimes, before we can understand the freedoms that we enjoy, they have to be limited or attacked. Back to the the child toy illustration. The first child, the one who owns the toy, they still own the toy, right? But they are feeling these emotions for the toy that they just haven't felt for a while. The ownership of that toy. Why? Because they took that toy for granted. They believed that it would always be there whenever they wanted it and now their access to that toy is being limited, it's being infringed upon. Again, the child still owns the toy, and when the other child leaves, they will have all the access to the toy that they want. The question I ask is this, will that child, will they care about that toy once the other child leaves? Will they care just as much About that toy, once the other child leaves, I doubt it. I doubt it. Will they go back to taking it for granted? Probably. As I mentioned at the beginning, I want to talk today about our face-to-face relationship with Christ. Our face-to-face encounter, if you will, with the living God. I want to talk about Jesus, our Lord. Jesus, our Lord. If you have your Bibles, hopefully you've opened them, or your Bible app, you've opened them to John chapter 9. Now, there are many face-to-face encounters with Jesus in the Bible. As a church, we have looked at a number of them, but there, there are so many more out there. But in the Bible, people had different uh, reactions to their face-to-face encounters with Christ. Some were negative, some were positive, some ran away, and some fell at his feet and worshiped. Everybody was different. Today, I want to highlight a positive story found in John chapter 9. If, If you want to look at a negative story, all you have to do is look at just the previous chapter, John chapter 8. In fact, it was so negative that by the end of the chapter, the people wanted to kill Jesus, That's pretty negative, isn't it? That's pretty hardcore. In fact, some of them were the religious leaders of the day. But that's a different story. But Jesus, he escapes these executioners, and he goes and he finds a man who had been born blind, totally blind from birth. There is so much in this story, we could dissect it for a really long time, but I just have today. So, I'm going to give you a little synopsis and then we're going to focus then on a few a few scriptures, okay? So, the man was born blind, and in that culture when individuals uh, suffered in any way, a lot of times they believed that there was some kind of sin that was involved. Whether it was the sin of the individual or the sin of the parents, somebody had sinned, therefore there is suffering. Okay? And this would would, uh, explain the, the, the question from the disciples to Jesus of, Jesus, who sinned, this man or his parents? Why was he born this way? And Jesus answers, neither. Neither one sinned and caused this. He said, the man's blindness happened so that God's power could be displayed. Boy, there's a whole lot right there. At which point, Jesus healed the man in a peculiar way. He spit on the ground, made some mud, covered the man's eyes, and then told him to wash in the pool of Siloam. Does anybody want to get rid of their glasses today? (laughs) We We can find some mud and we can try this out. That's pretty strange, isn't it? It's a strange way to heal somebody. But he covered the man's eyes, told him to wash in the pool of Siloam, and the man obeyed. And guess what? He was healed. He obeyed and he was healed. Now, unfortunately for the man, this occurred on the Sabbath. Why was this unfortunate? Because the religious leaders said you couldn't do anything. You couldn't even heal on the Sabbath. So they were angry. Imagine this. These religious leaders are angry because somebody was healed on a certain day. Now, to you and I, it doesn't make any sense. But back then, that's, that's how they operated. That's how they believed. So they questioned the man about it. He told them it was Jesus who had healed, them, healed him and that he believed that Jesus was sent by God. Now, he doesn't necessarily say he's the Messiah or anything like that. He just says he believed that he was sent by God. But the religious leader said that Jesus could not have come from God. Why? Again, because he had worked, quote-unquote, worked on the Sabbath, because he had healed on the Sabbath. Now, again, can you imagine this? People angry, religious people angry because somebody was healed on a certain day. Sounds like they believed they could decide when God could be God. To me, it sounds like they decided that they could determine when God could be God. Now, I don't know about you, but that sounds like some scary territory. I don't want to be in the position of telling God what he can and cannot do. But they did. That's what they believed. Now, at the same time, some did believe that Jesus was sent from God, which then caused a division amongst these religious leaders. Some of them ended up calling Jesus a sinner, which was almost one of the worst things that they could call him. They called him a sinner. At one point, the formerly blind man basically identifies himself as a disciple of Jesus, as a follower of Jesus. And he asks, get this, he asks the synagogue leaders, do you want to follow him too? Well, I got one chuckle out of that. He's asking the religious leaders who were angry at him because he got healed on the Sabbath, do you want to follow the man who did this to me? Uh, No. (laughs) They didn't. They didn't want to do that. They didn't want anything to do with Jesus. In fact, they wanted to get rid of Jesus, right? They did not want to follow him. This infuriated them so much that they kicked the man, the formerly blind man, out of the synagogue. This just gets stranger and stranger, doesn't it? Now, please understand, by kicking the man out of the synagogue, they were limiting his ability to worship God. Limiting, not, not totally restricting, but they were limiting his ability to worship God. I want you to see that. Now, it is unclear if if this action was a permanent like excommunication from the synagogue, or if it was just simply for that day or that week, we don't know. It doesn't tell us how long they kicked him out of the synagogue. The fact remains they did. As far as he knew, he couldn't come back, at least not right then, to worship his God. So there are some who thought they could dictate when God could act like God by healing someone on a religious day, and then these very same people believed they could decide when and how this man could worship God. Either way, they were trying to control how and where he could interact with his God and how God could interact with him. Amazing, isn't it? Does it sound familiar? At this point, Jesus hears about what's happened. He, he hears about what's happened to this formerly blind man, that he has healed, and he goes searching for him. He heard about how he was mistreated by the religious leaders. And when Jesus finds him, we see in John 9, verse 35, if you want to look there, John 9, verse 35, it says this. Jesus asks him one question, Do you believe in the Son of Man? Do you believe in the Son of Man? Now, please notice that Son and Man are both capitalized here. This is a title, not a description of Jesus. In different places in John's Gospel, John describes who the Son of Man is. and I'm going to go through these quickly. In John one fifty one, it says, The one in whom God reveals himself. In John 3.13, the one who has come down from heaven. In John 6.27, the one upon whom God set his seal of approval. In John 6.62, the one who will ascend again to heaven from where he came from. And then in 12.23 and 13.31, the one who will return to his place of glory through death and resurrection. Who's that sound like? Sounds like Jesus, the Messiah, doesn't it? If you have a red letter edition Bible where the words of Jesus are printed in red, you'll notice all of these are in red. This was Jesus speaking about himself. In fact, this was one of his favorite titles for himself was Son of Man. Now, it would seem that all good Jews knew or were at least familiar with this title, Son of Man. Again, it's most, a lot of times it was used by Jesus. In fact, um, in the Gospels themselves, Jesus used this term, or it was used of Jesus, 84 times. This title, Son of Man, was used to describe Jesus. Now, this title speaks about the humanness of of Jesus. We have a lot of times no issues talking about the son of God, right? We have no issues looking at Jesus as the son of God, his divinity, his godness, but we don't always look at the son of man, his humanness. Now, please remember, Jesus is 100% God and what? 100% human, Pastor Brad, that math doesn't add up. You're right. It doesn't, does it? But then again, what about God adds up? Nothing. That's what makes him God. In fact, if we could understand God, he wouldn't be God. If you can understand who God really is in all of his fullness, he wouldn't be God. God. We cannot fully comprehend who he is. Now, it is believed that this title, Son of Man, uh, is connected with a passage found in the Old Testament. In Daniel chapter 7, which I'm going to read here, verses 13 and 14, Daniel writes this, As my vision continued that night, I saw someone like a Son of Man coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the Ancient One, who is God the Father, and he was led into his presence. He was given authority, honor, and sovereignty over all the nations of the world, so that people of every race and nation and language would obey him. His rule is eternal, it will never end. His kingdom will never be destroyed. Now, today, we recognize that this passage is talking about who? The Messiah. He's talking about the Messiah. Who is Jesus? Now, I, I really couldn't confirm whether or not if the Jews of Jesus' day would have made the direct connection or not with Jesus, or excuse me, with the Son of Man being equal to the Messiah. I, I just couldn't find that, for sure. And yet the formerly blind man's response would almost suggest that they did, or at least he did that he did connect the Son of Man with the Messiah. And why do I say this? Because in, in verse 36, the man says this, I want to believe in him. Now, a good Jew would never believe in anything or anyone who was not God. He's not just talking about, I want to believe, you know, that he's a good person or anything like that. He wants to believe in him as God. It's basically what he's saying there. But there's further evidence because Jesus replies to the man in verse 37, you have seen him, Jesus said, and he is speaking to you. Now that's not the kicker. The kicker is the next point. Because at this point, the man says he believes and then begins to worship Jesus. Jesus. He begins to worship Jesus. Again, a good Jew, would he worship anything that was not God? That he perceived as not being God? No, he wouldn't. So somehow he's made the connection that this is God in the flesh. Now, there's more to this story, but but this is where we're going to stop for us today. Now, I don't know about you, but I would love to know more about how the man worshipped Jesus. We don't have any clue, you know, did he dance, did he sing, did he get down on his hands and knees? We just don't know. It just says he worshipped Jesus. Now, please understand, at this point in time, Jesus had not died, had not risen from the dead, Jesus would not have been viewed by this man or anyone else for that matter as the risen Savior and Lord. It hadn't happened yet. He would not have recognized Jesus as someone that he owed his allegiance to. Jesus was simply the man who had healed him. Jesus had not just introduced himself as a son of man, or Jesus had just introduced himself as the Son of Man. The man may or may not have believed that Jesus was the promised Messiah, but he knew he was from God somehow, some way. He knew he was from God. Now, here's what I do believe about this man. I believe he was grateful. I believe that he was blessed. And he was healed. And he wanted to worship Jesus. He wanted to worship the man who had healed him from something that he had had his entire life. And guess what? It does not appear that he cared who saw him do this. He just worshiped Jesus. A few few verses later, we see that there was there there were some Pharisees standing nearby when this happened. Perhaps even some of the ones who had kicked this formerly blind man out of the synagogue. Again, when they kicked him out, they were telling him, in effect, that he couldn't worship God there. He didn't care. This formerly blind man didn't care where he was or who he was with, who was around. He was going to worship God. He was going to worship Jesus. He was going to worship his Messiah, we now know. He was going to worship his healer. Speaking about when to worship, Pastor John Lindell writes this, When I don't stop to rest... I forfeit God's recreative and renewing work in my body and soul. Along the way, self-reliance supplants worship. Ooh. When we don't take a day of rest. Now, he's talking about a Sabbath rest here, okay? He's talking about a day of rest, something that everyone needs, something that God has given to us. He's saying that when we don't take time to focus on God, we tend to become self-reliant. Self-reliant. That means we come to believe we don't really need God. It can also mean that we can believe that we don't need to worship and serve Jesus our Lord because we become self-reliant. Now, We don't observe the actual Sabbath, which is Saturday. We observe Sunday, which is today. As a day that is set aside to focus our attention more, please please see the emphasis on more on God. Because we should be focusing on God at some point throughout the week. Every day, right? Every day we should have some focus on Christ. Prayer, reading the Bible, etc., So it's not just a one-day-of-the-week event. We are, the Bible tells us, to present ourselves as sacrifices unto God in worship. Let me ask you this question. When you come to church, whether it be a Sunday morning or if you come on Wednesday night, do you come focusing your attention on God, expecting to encounter Him? Let me say that again. Do you come focusing your attention on God, expecting to encounter Him? Now that might seem like a silly question. Of course, Pastor Brad, when we come to church, we're coming to focus on God. We're coming to experience our relationship with Him. Of course, it should be that way. But is it? Do we? I wonder how many times I have come into a place of worship a church like this because it was Sunday or because it was Wednesday and I didn't really come expecting to encounter God. I wasn't living in sin or anything like that. I just wasn't coming to ex- I wasn't coming expecting to encounter him. I wonder how many times that has happened in my life. And then I think, you know what? Maybe I'm not alone in this. Maybe there are others who have done the same thing. Maybe there are others who have come into church because it was Sunday or because it was Wednesday, but they really didn't expect to encounter God or really to give to God. They were just there. I'm not going to ask for a show of hands. You're, you're safe. But I'm guessing I'm not the only one that that has happened to. Surely there are others who, like me, have have done the same thing. Maybe, maybe that even applies to someone today. Earlier in the message, I, I, I said that I wanted to look at Jesus, our Lord. We don't use that word a whole lot anymore, do we? Lord. I wonder why. Is it because we don't like to think of someone or something as being Over us, because that's what it's talking about. That's what it means. A Lord is someone who is a master or ruler over others. That's what a Lord is, that's what a Lord does. It's also a title that we give to people, it's a sign of dignity and honor, acknowledging that they have power and authority. Here's my question for you and and, and for me today. Is Jesus really the Lord of your life? Or do you simply view Jesus as your Savior? And understand, there is a difference. Is Jesus the Lord of your life, not just the Savior of your life? Many people like the Savior Jesus, but they don't always like the Lord Jesus. They do not want to give him the power and the authority over their lives, over our lives. And sometimes when we don't do this, there's that self-reliance thing that, come, that can creep in, right? Right? But if I don't make him my Lord and my Savior, if if I don't have that Lordship over me, then that can interfere with how and when I worship and serve him. Because what can happen is then I determine when and how that should happen. Instead of allowing God to speak to me and show me how he wants to be worshipped, how he wants to be served. So let me ask you, what has been your face-to-face encounter with Jesus the Lord? What has been your face-to-face experience with Jesus the Lord? Earlier, I used an illustration of a child and their toy. I made the statement that the child took their toy for granted, and I didn't make the connection, but I want to make the connection now to us, to you and me. You see, you and I, we are the child that owns the toy. And the lordship of Jesus, the worship of Jesus, the serving of Jesus is the toy. Our relationship, our worship of Jesus is that toy. The right, the ability to worship and serve Jesus as our Lord, as your Lord, has always been available to you, to us. No one can ever take that away from you. But I wonder how many of us have taken that right, that ability to worship and serve Jesus as our Lord for granted. I wonder... It's always been there. It's always been an expectation of God for us to serve Him as our Lord. But have we taken that that right, that ability for granted and just left it on the floor and not done anything with it? Many people around the world, and even again here in America today, are having to make a decision. Will they worship and follow Jesus as their Lord? As the one who has power and authority over their lives? Or will they allow others, or situations, or circumstances, or schedules, etc., 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 to determine for them when and how they will follow Christ? Some have taken their freedoms for granted, like the child with the toy. Today, some are having their freedoms inhibited. I mentioned earlier that I really want this to be a challenge, a wake-up call if necessary to all of us to not take our freedoms for granted, to not take this liberty for granted, to not allow situations or others to dictate whether or not we worship and serve God or how we worship and serve God. What I'm afraid of is this, people. I'm afraid that, that you and I will enjoy our freedom for a time. And then we will take it for granted later. I'm afraid that we will become complacent in our relationship with Jesus, the Lord. And take it for granted I'm afraid that some will take their freedom to worship and serve Christ as their Lord for granted. If I could have the worship team to come up at this time, please. I wonder, I wonder what the persecuted Christians around the world would say to us today. I wonder what the Christians in Iran and other countries would say to us in America today. What would those who have been martyred for Christ say to us today? Would they tell us to not take our freedom to follow Jesus our Lord for granted? Would they tell us to be diligent in our worship and our service of Christ? Because you never know when you may or may not have the freedom to do so. Something tells me they would. Something tells me that they would say, wake up. Don't take this for granted. Don't take the lordship of Christ in your life for granted. Don't take the ability to worship and serve him for granted. You and I have freedom today in this place, in this city, in this state to worship and serve Jesus our Lord as he wants us to. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, that we have that freedom today. But make no mistake, it could be tampered with, it could be infringed upon, it could even be taken away if we are not careful. But let me tell you this, even if someone does try to do that to us, They can't stop us from worshiping and serving God. They may be able to prevent groups coming together, but they cannot prevent you as a worshiper of Jesus, as a servant of Jesus. Please, please understand that. I want to challenge you to worship and serve Jesus yours. Worship and serve Jesus, your Lord. No matter what, make your face to face relationship with Him a priority. Make being a part of His church a priority. Make serving in His church, make serving in His kingdom a priority while you still can. Worship and serve Jesus. Lord we're going to sing a song the last song we sang in the worship set I give you my heart and I pray that you will maybe sing with a, with a new vigor this morning a new outlook a new perspective even that you will see Jesus your Lord in this song and that you will worship him that you will serve him with a renewed interest, a renewed excitement even, because He is your Lord. He's not just your Savior. He didn't just come to save you from your sins. He came to be your Lord as well. Would you stand with me this morning? I'm going to pray a prayer in closing. And then we're going to sing this song. If you want to come forward and pray, if you want to pray about something that was concerning this morning's message. if you want to pray something maybe you want healing in your body maybe there's something going on in your job or in your family whatever it may be Jesus the healer is here. Jesus the Savior, Jesus our Lord, Jesus our provider God can go on and on. He is here to meet with you. Will you meet with him? You have a choice. Lord, I thank you for this day. I thank you for your word that you have spoken to us. I pray, God, that anything that was of me would just be discarded, God, but whatever is of you would be remembered and applied to our lives. Jesus, you are not just our Savior. You are our Lord. Help us to see you in a different light today than maybe we did when we first walked into this place. Help us, Lord, as we worship you, as we serve you to do so because you are our Lord this morning. Go with us, I pray, as we leave. May your protection, your blessing, your provision be upon us, your healing, Lord. Whatever somebody needs this morning, may you meet with them. May they encounter you, God, in a very special way today. We thank you for it in Jesus name. Amen.
1: This is my-